It's my privilege to teach this morning. I appreciate, thanks for showing up to church. Uh, A few of you found out that I was teaching after you got here, so thanks for staying. Appreciate that. Good job. Um, Would you please continue to just lift uh, the ETOC family up? Continue to let uh, Pastor Brian know how much you love and appreciate him. So today is week two of miracles. And so we're going to continue to discuss miracles, the miracles of Jesus. And so um, as this shrinks, I will just continue to raise it up. Uh, Our focus today is the word provision, provision. And so inside your bulletin are sermon notes. So if you want to follow along, that would be great. Provision, the definition of provision is something provided, which is cheating because you can't use provided in the definition of provision. So I got another one, a measure or other means for meeting a need. That's that first blank there for meeting a need. Uh, The story we're going to look at today is one of two miracles that's included in all four gospels. So let's just talk about what that means. So there were 12 disciples that traveled with Jesus. Um, The first four books of the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, we got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament is when Jesus is alive. Uh, He's born. He uh, does his 33 years on earth. He performs miracles. He... um, hires disciples, not really because he didn't pay them, they just followed him, and then the church happens. And so in the New Testament, the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four of the 12 gospels that traveled, or gospels, disciples that traveled with him. And so those first four books are, there's a lot of similarities if you study them. And so it's their eyewitness account of what they saw when they traveled with Jesus. So how cool is that that they wrote that down for us? And so in these first four gospels, Uh, there's, you kind of get deja vu as you're reading them. You're like, I thought I read that already because some of them share different stories. Well, all four of them only share two miracles. And the one we're going to talk about today is the feeding of the 5,000. The other miracle that all four share is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's pretty cool, right? And so we're going to study this today. Um, So we're going to look in the book of John. So the scriptures on your notes there, there's also a Bible in front of you, or maybe you have your phone with you or your own Bible figure that, come to church with your own Bible, well done. Um, So we're going to look at that, and John is in, like I said, the New Testament. If you're looking in the table of contents, you're looking for plain John, all right? There's actually four Johns in the Bible, so you don't want first, second, or third John, you just want plain old John, okay? So we're John chapter 6, that's going to be the bigger number, the chapter is the bigger number, we're going to start at verse 1, which is the little number within the sentences, so that's kind of its address, that's what we're going to read from today. Now, we're going to read 1 through 15, but I'm going to go back and forth, back and forth, okay? So just keep your scripture open, because we'll go right back to it. So here we go, John chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far, far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Pause. Okay, so now we're going to talk about this. Sometime after this. So, Something happened before this, right? (laughs) So we got to figure out kind of what that is. So um, as Jesus and the disciples are coming across the Sea of Galilee, this is what's already happened. Jesus has performed healings. So that's been cool to watch. There's been some confrontations. 
Sometimes with people who lived in the area, so just like villagers, most of the time with church leaders. So there's been some confrontations between Jesus and them. And then the latest thing, this is so hard, Jesus' cousin and also one of his best friends was John the Baptist, and he had just been beheaded. Did you know that was in the Bible, that people got beheaded in the Bible? And so these guys are worn out. They're tired, and honestly, they're grieving. All of them love John, and so their hearts are broken. And so they come across the Sea of Galilee. They go up the mountainside because they're worn out, and they needed some quiet and some rest. It's also important for us to recognize that that the Jewish Passover was happening soon because that explains this great crowd. So the Jewish Passover was this big celebration that happened once a year of when the Jewish people were brought out of exile out of Egypt and they were moving towards the promised land. So every year, as many as could from that region would come together and celebrate. This was a big, big deal. They'd come together and celebrate the Jewish Passover. And so all of that kind of explains why there's these big crowds around, okay? So they follow him up uh, the mountainside. I will tell you... um, I think it's kind of interesting to think about, like I would say I'm living by faith. I'm a person of faith because um, as much as I would tell you I've experienced Jesus, not one time has he ever walked into our church and said, hello, Cheryl, I'm Jesus, right? I've never been like physically next to him. So I've lived by faith my whole Christian walk. Um, These folks did not live by faith. Uh, Jesus was kind of new to the scene, and so they lived by word of mouth. And so they heard that Jesus was in the area. They also had heard that Jesus had done all these amazing miracles. So basically, they wanted to check it out. He was kind of like the sideshow that was nearby of the Passover that was happening. They weren't there to see Jesus. They were there for the Passover. So when they heard Jesus was around, they're like, hey, let's go check him out. Because maybe it'll work a miracle and we'll get to see it. How cool would that be? And also, my family member or my friend needs a miracle, so why not, right? Let's go. Let's go see and and check it out. So let's pick up at verse uh, number five. When Jesus looked up, saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Um, remember I talked about the other four gospels. Let's insert them here. All of these guys wrote their eyewitness account. To me personally, I like to look at them all four together because each of them had a little bit different vantage point. So each of them's missing, in my opinion. (laughs) Isn't that nice, Cheryl, the the biblical theology? Okay, so uh, they're all missing just a little bit. And so I like to put it together because in the other three they mentioned that when he saw this crowd, he had compassion on them. So can you kind of put yourself in their spot? All All this has happened, and you were going to get away from people, and you were tired, and you were really sad about your friend. And all these people are coming forward, and Jesus sees them and has compassion on them. You know what it doesn't say? The disciples had compassion on them. Can you kind of feel the disciples like, ugh, not again. Can't we get a little space here? I can kind of feel that from them, okay? So he has compassion on them. And so when he sees them, he starts teaching. So he's teaching them in really important things. He's also starting to perform healings, which is so cool. So morning, it starts happening, and he's teaching, and he's doing miracles, and that, that bleeds into noon, and noon is into afternoon, and afternoon's into late afternoon, and late afternoon is into evening. 
And that's when the other gospels say that the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, good teaching today. Maybe these guys could go ahead and head home because they're getting hungry, they're tired, a little bit distracted. Translation, we're tired, we're hungry, we're a little bit distracted. It's time for them to go, okay? So uh, I think that also is kind of a direct reflection on our world today. People are tired, people are hungry, people are distracted. And so I think this story is so timely for this time in history. Um, Then Jesus asked Philip, Now, why would he ask Philip? Well, Philip is from Bethsaida, which is exactly where they're at. So he says to Philip, thinking maybe this guy knows where a bakery is or several bakeries. And I'll ask him, where can we get enough bread for all these guys to eat? So he asked Philip. Now, we're going to learn in verse 10. Verse 10 says 5,000 men were there. Um, In the Bible, they counted men, the end. And so that actually was 5,000 households were represented. So most historians estimate that 20,000 people were there, not 5,000. So we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but it's really the feeding of the 20,000 or so, okay? Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip, in my opinion, is kind of a numbers cruncher. He's an analyst. So I can see when he asks Philip, Philip immediately starts, uh, it's going to be 24, 33, 37, um, that's going to be half a year's wages. Translation, there's not enough. There's no way this is going to happen. It can't be done. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, which is Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will they go among so many? So you got Philip, who's a numbers guy. Now you got Andrew, who's an action guy. So Andrew's like, okay, we need food. I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go see where I can find. So Andrew starts walking through all the people. And he's like, hey, kid. Hey, kid with the Long John Silver's bag. Come here. <laughs> Do you want to meet Jesus? You could share your lunch with him. Come on. Let's go meet Jesus. Knowing that it wasn't going to be enough. So maybe Jesus and the little boy would have a nice moment, share the lunch, and then Jesus would say, okay, we don't have any more, so everybody head home, right? Because Andrew's answer was really the same as Philip's answer. There's not enough. It cannot be done. I think the disciples' solution was to send the people away so they could get something to eat on their own. I think they were hungry and they were tired. How many times in our lives does God give us an opportunity and we send it away because we say, "Mm, I don't have enough to even make a dent in that situation, so I'm not going there. I'm not going to worry about that problem. Both Philip and Andrew were missing something, and many times I'm missing it too. Does anybody know what it or who it might be? What? Jesus, good job. So usually that's like the the pat church answer, but it's the right answer. Good job. All right, so they're missing Jesus. God in the flesh was with them. You know what? God in the flesh is with me. They had already seen some miracles. So have I. They were more focused on what they could not do than on what Jesus could do. And we do the same thing. 
You know, scripture tells us in John chapter 15 that apart from Jesus, apart from me, that's what the scripture says it's in red letters, so Jesus is saying it, apart from me, you can do nothing. But many times I say, but I can try, right? I see a problem and immediately I'm like, okay, how are we gonna solve this? We need a checklist. We need to figure out what, who's gonna do this, how we're gonna work this through. We all do that, right? We begin thinking that through and many times we forget who is standing with us. <laughs> because when Jesus supplies, it's never too little. He never runs out. Jesus loves to go above and beyond not only what we can ask, but what we can think. In your uh, notes is also another verse from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. That's a great verse. Okay, we're back to our story, John chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So let's put ourselves in this story, all right? It's Passover time, so it's spring-ish. There's plenty of grass everywhere is what it says, so the weather's pretty nice. It's comfortable. It's cool. We estimate that there's 20,000 people and 12 guys who are supposed to organize them, right? There's 50, they're supposed to put them in groups of 50 to 100 people. That's what um, the other gospel writers share. To me, this would be complete chaos, right? Um, because I think they're trying to seat people and people are thinking, oh, something's happening. They're having to sit down. What's happening? I want to see. I want to see. And so they're trying to scooch forward in the groups. They're trying to, I don't want to sit down. I want to stand. I want to see what he's about to do, right? And I've organized enough groups to know there's somebody there that wanted to know why. Can you see the why person? Miriam, Jesus said to go sit down. I don't know why Jesus said to go sit down. Miriam, I just need for you to sit down. No, we're going to be in groups of 50 or 100, so you can choose. Just No, you can stay with the group that you're in, Miriam. Sit down, right? It would have been chaos. It would have been exhausting for those 12 guys to try and figure out 20,000 people. It also was getting late, it tells us. So it's getting dark. People are getting tired, a little bit cranky, right? And so I just think this would have taken time. I think scripture just glosses over that. You know, I'm a logistics person. I want to know how they sat down the 20,000 people. It wasn't 10 minutes. It was going to take some time. Let's look at verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, this is how I picture this lunch looking. I love our church because if you need anything weird, it's in a closet somewhere. It's beautiful. So I picture these two fish, right? Let me just put those there. And then there was five barley loaves. Now in my head when I was a little kid, I thought like sunbeam, loaf of bread, you know. It's not, it's five barley loaves. These are probably very, these have been shellacked. That's why they're still intact. Um, it probably would have been smaller like this. And a barley loaf was actually the food of the poor people. So it would have been a little tiny loaf and it would have been pickled or like, fish jerky, okay, is what is what it would have been in his little bag. So he goes um, and gives that to Jesus. So Jesus is getting ready to bless it. Now, in the other scripture, I didn't really have barley loaves, and because these are shellacked, I had hamburger buns at home, so that's what, just what we're going to use for our little um, 
<laughs> visual aid today because we're classy like that. Okay, so Jesus goes before, uh, so they give, give Jesus, he's got the bread and the fish jerky. I didn't have fish jerky at home, isn't that weird? So I didn't bring any. Um, so he goes and he has this little barley loaf and scripture says that Jesus raises it to God. He prays over it, blesses it, then he breaks it in half. Then he gives half of it to a disciple. Okay, so when he's praying, I think this is like an eyes open prayer, you know? Or, or at least they were like, oh, what are you gonna do, right? <laughs> because they had heard all about different miracles, prophets with miracles, with bread. They had seen miracles, so they didn't wanna miss. I can kind of picture, especially Peter, I totally resonate with Peter because he had such terrible foot and mouth disease. He was sticking his foot in his mouth all the time. I can picture Peter like, oh, he's going to pray and this giant loaf of bread is going to appear and everybody's going to get a little slice of it. It's going to be amazing. So when he prays and then he hands Peter half of a roll, I can totally picture saying, are, are you all done praying? <laughs> you want to pray again? Because that's really little. No, Peter, here's, go and share this with your group of 50, your group of 100. So Peter's like, okay. So Peter comes down and says, hey, this whole section has to share this. Can you just take just a little bit? No, you don't get the whole thing. Take it a little. Nope, that's too big. Give me that back. Okay. Can you see him? And he goes through, what, like three people? And this role is gone. So he goes back up to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to need some more. And Jesus gives him another half of a roll. And he goes back. And he comes back, and he goes back, and he comes back. And before long, the disciples are like running the aisles, experiencing the supernatural. I don't even think this miracle happened in the master's hand. I think it happened in the disciples' hands. Because he blessed it, and then they did what he asked them to do. And you know what scripture says? And everyone ate as much as they wanted. That is a miracle. That is a remarkable thing. Let me just find where we're at. Okay, so to me, okay, so just picture you, you're at Olive Garden. You get all-you-can-eat breadsticks. And you're at Cracker Barrel, and it's Friday night fish fry, all-you-can-eat. And back and forth and back and forth. And so by the end, you had eaten all that you wanted. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets, holy cow. Okay, so they're sitting in region 12, not district 12, if you're a Hunger Games lover like me. They're in region 12, of the Middle East where the 12 tribes of Judah originally began. Plus, there's 12 disciples, right, who were learning that, in fact, the person they were hanging out with was the Messiah. He's 100% God and 100% man. So, 12 basketfuls, 12 disciple doggy bags, right? And so they go around and they pick up all of the barley loaf leftovers, all of the fish leftovers, 
And they end up with their own little disciple doggy bag. Because, um, and what's amazing, it was from the five loaves and the two fish that weren't enough, remember? Because when five loaves plus two fish happens, just pure and simple, it's not enough. But when five loaves plus two fish plus Jesus happen, it's more than enough. That's the miracle of it. When we take our part, which we know good and well is going to be insufficient, and we give it to Jesus, he makes things happen that no way could happen on our own. So the beautiful part of that is anything plus Jesus is enough. So if you have a problem plus Jesus, your problem can get solved. If you have hurt plus Jesus, you're going to experience him healing. If you have an addiction plus Jesus, you can experience freedom. (laughs) If you have a broken marriage plus Jesus, now you have hope. If you have a lack of really anything, anything in your life, if only I had this, if only I had more of that, then things could be different. A lack of anything plus Jesus, you're going to have overflow. And if you have emptiness plus Jesus, you're going to have everything you need plus something to share. That is a miracle. That is exactly what Jesus does. To me, in these equations, Jesus is the integral integer, which I had to look up. I didn't know exactly what that meant. Uh, in these equations, I don't, know, I don't know what test you're going through right now. I don't know what's happening in your life, but I'm telling you right now, the answer is Jesus. Because anything plus him equals this. <laughs> so um, I think he wants to give you a doggy bag of blessings. I think he wants you to have enough to not only have what you need, but to share with those around you. I think he's saying to us today, have a little faith, trust me, take whatever is this, and if you'll give it to me, um, I'll show you what I can do with that. Are you willing to have a little faith to trust him with your equation, whatever your equation is? And also, Jesus never wastes anything. Nothing of his will ever be lost. If Jesus cares enough in that scripture to tell us that make sure you don't leave anything behind, don't leave any leftovers, um, how much more is he going to take care and make sure that none of his people are left behind? Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of heaven. Every single moment of your life, the good stuff and the bad stuff, can be used for God's glory, (laughs) for him to do good in your life. I'd like to go back to the beginning of the story. Um, Will you look back in your scripture? I want to look at verse 5. Because I think we might have missed an important word there. Verse 5, the part that I'm looking at says, where shall we buy bread for those people to eat? Anybody know what word you think I might be talking about? Where shall we buy bread for those people to eat? We, right? Jesus says we. He never intended for the disciples to do this alone. And he doesn't want us to do it alone either. When I turn my me problem into a we problem, all of a sudden, miracles have a chance to happen. Verse 14, 
after the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Once they ate as much as they wanted, now their vision cleared and they could see him. They came to him saying, wonder what he's going to do. Wonder what he's going to do. I want to watch a sign and wonder. I wonder what it can do for me. Now they're full and all of a sudden they're looking and saying, huh, maybe, just maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the one we've been promised. Verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Uh, if you travel very much around the United States, you're going to find something that says George Washington on it. It's going to be a park or a city or a road or an airport, um, a school, somewhere, because George Washington is one of our American idols. If you traveled around very much in Jewish communities, you would find something named after Moses because Moses was their idol. And I will tell you, the folks listening to Jesus on that mountainside, on this day, were looking for the next Moses. Uh, they wanted them, Moses, their next Moses, maybe Jesus, to defeat the Romans, to help them get their promised land. And I'll tell you, on this day, Jesus was looking pretty good for the part. Because first, Jesus is leading a crowd. All they'd ever heard their whole life is Moses led a huge crowd. Uh, the second thing is the crowd is following Jesus because he had done signs and wonders. You know who else had? Moses. The third thing was uh, Jesus and his disciples went up on the mountainside. Moses and Joshua went up on the mountainside. So they're like, man, this guy looks a lot like Moses. And the fourth thing was all this is happening during, during the Jewish Passover, which is exactly what they were celebrating was how Moses and God led the, led the Israelites out from exile from Egypt. So Jesus knew that they were thinking all of this. He also knew the time wasn't right. This wasn't God's plan. And so he got all the disciples together and he sent them back across the sea because he didn't want them to get caught up in this whole political nonsense that was happening. And he went up on the mountainside to get some solitude. So we've got this amazing miracle. This story, John chapter six, verse one through 15, such an incredible miracle. So here's my question for you today. What lesson, what lesson does it bring to our lives? What can we learn from it? Number one, never judge your problems in light of your own resources. Never judge your problems in light of your own resources. Miracles always start with a mess. They always do. They start with my mess. <laughs> because I'm saying there's not enough we can't do it. It's not going to work. And God says, hmm, let me take your mess and create a miracle out of it. And that's exactly what Jesus did because he met the need. He didn't just meet it. He met it exceedingly, right? 12 basketfuls left over. Number two, put yourself in position for God to do something big. Put yourself in position for God to do something big. We got this little boy with the lunch, and he was nearby because he was seeking God. You know what the little boy didn't need? He didn't need lunch, right? He's the only one that brought lunch. So he didn't need the miracle, but he wanted to position himself nearby Jesus so that he could be a part of something big. He had no idea that was going to happen, but that did happen. So check your positioning. Are you near enough to God that something big can happen in your life? 
And number three, accept God's invitation to participate in his miracle. Accept God's invitation to participate in his miracle. Jesus did not need five loaves or two fish or honestly, 12 disciples. Jesus could have spoke and lunch, boom, Chick-fil-A bags for everybody could have come into existence, right? Just like he did with creation. But what he wants is for us to participate in the miracle with him. So accept that invitation to participate in your own miracle. The miracle of God's provision can pass us by, right? Because we may have stopped believing in the impossible. Do you have a person that you've prayed for for a long time and you thought, it's just not going to happen? There's no way. Have you thought, I would really like to do this dream that God put in my heart, but there's not enough money. There's just not enough. It can't happen. It can't be done. Other areas in your life, this, this marriage is too broken. This relationship is too broken. My kid is too far gone. There's just not enough. can't be done. So we have given up on the impossible. But we can send this away. It's not enough. Um, but what, it's not what we can do. It's what he can do, right? That's what the disciples learned. It's not what they could do. It's what Jesus could do. I look at chapter 6 in John and I say, man, that's a miracle. And God looks at it and says, hmm, business as usual. Because he's God, right? So I wonder today what you're going to do with this lesson. I've wondered all week what I'm going to do with this lesson. Um, do you trust God? Do you trust God's provision in your life? Do you trust him enough to pick up your leftovers, the leftover pieces of your life that you would say, nobody's going to want those? And to offer them up in a disciple doggy bag and say, God, I don't know what you can do with this. I know I can't do anything. <laughs> There's not enough. I can't, it can't be done but I'll give it to you and I'm going to trust you and he's going to create from this disciple doggy bag of leftovers a beautiful part of your story that's going to help somebody else to come to know him and help somebody else to come to know him. Uh, on the altar today are disciple doggy bags. I wonder, um, as the music plays, if you would take a step of faith today. If you would say, you know what? I believe God's provision in my life, the miracle that is God's provision in my life, that I could trust him. I could trust him in all the times when I think, can't be done, there's not enough. Because now I know that anything plus Jesus equals enough. You would come and you would take this doggy bag, there's a bunch of them, and you would open it up and you would say, Lord, I'm imagining all the things that are left over. <laughs> and I've got them in my mind, I've got them in my bag. And I'm offering them to you today. And I'm saying to you, I believe I can trust you. I believe that you have provision for my life where you're going to provide and meet my need. And it could be really anything. Emotional, grief, financial, relationships, it doesn't really matter what, what goes in it. It's the fact that it's the same God who has provision for your life, the miracle of his provision, that you can trust him with it. So we're going to have just a couple of quiet moments. When you come, if you want to kneel, if you want to sit in the front row, if you just want to stand right here, we're going to have prayer together. 
But if you think today, I'm going to take a disciple doggy bag and I'm going to offer God all the different ways that I thought there wasn't enough, that I'm, I'm going to allow him to show me what he can do because Jesus plus anything is enough. Um, then I'm going to take this bag and I'm going to leave it in my office open like this so that if somebody comes by and says, what's up with the little bag? I can say, you know what I learned? <laughs> that sometimes my leftovers is exactly what Jesus wants and that his provision in my life, I can trust it. I can trust him. So if you want a disciple doggy bag, come on up while he's playing and then we'll pray in just a minute, all right? chose to come and get a bag, will you open it right now? <laughs> That's a pretty beautiful sound because what that sounds like to me is a whole lot of God's girls and God's guys. Because if you took one, you're acknowledging that you are a disciple of Jesus. That you've chosen to follow him. And now what you're thinking is very personal because my leftovers look different than yours. My thoughts about trusting God and the provision of God look a little different than yours because all of us have uh, unique lives that we're living. And so as we're praying, remember that, that, that your leftover bag isn't gonna match somebody else's. And that's great because that speaks to the uniqueness of who we are. And it's also great because it speaks to the uniqueness of how God loves us. Um, I hear a lot of people say, and, and I don't disagree with it when they say God loves us all the same. I think he loves us how we need to be loved. I think he loves us all uniquely. So if he loved me the same as he loved Angie, that's nice, but Angie needs different things than I do. And he knows that. So isn't that amazing to think about that? That the uniqueness of our leftover bag is as unique as God loves each of us. 
Man, that's a good thought. <laughs> Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for um, this amazing story. Thank you that all four of these guys would put it in their book so that when we read it, we would have a kind of a thorough knowledge of this miracle. This miracle, the feeding of 20,000 people, not just 5,000 people, but all these men plus their children and women, that they would be able to experience not just lunch, but an exceeding met need. And so today, Lord, many of us are offering up to you an open bag, an open disciple doggy bag that we're saying we have, we have a desire to be your disciple. We want to follow you. We want to know you more. We want to be known by you. We want our lives to matter for the kingdom of God. We want other people to come to know and love you, to recognize your hope and your grace and your forgiveness in our lives. And so we offer up to you um, the things we've picked up along the way, kind of the leftovers, the, the times when we've said, can you, can you just send that away, Lord? Because I know good and well, I can't make a dent in that. There's not enough. It cannot be done. Where you take my mess and you say, I'm gonna work a miracle here. You take my terrible finances. You take my relationships that are so rough. You take the situations in my life that I have shame over. You take my habits or my addictions, all the different things that I'm bringing to you today and putting in this bag and saying, Lord, here, it's yours now. So would you show your provision, the miracle of your provision in my life? Because I believe I can trust you. I believe that you're powerful enough that whatever I'm thinking of, you're gonna do immeasurably more than that because I can't even imagine what you're gonna do with the leftovers of my life. I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you're big enough to do that for all of us and so many more. I thank you for the person that's sitting on their couch right now with the lunch bag. For the person at work who, who grabbed a takeout container and is opening it and offering it to you. Thank you, Lord, that you're in all these places at once and that we can trust you. We love you today. We give you praise today. We thank you for allowing us to be your disciples. I thank you that I'm not just your servant, Lord, but I'm your daughter. I'm your disciple daughter. It is incredibly humbling and I'm very grateful for it. We thank you for a church that loves us and believes in us and also would say there's a miracle waiting for your life. Don't miss it. Don't send it away. Don't say that's way too impossible. It can't happen. Get so close up to God that you're wide open for his miracles. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The end of your notes is this same story in all four gospels. I would encourage you to take a look at that this week. 
to study through and see how they're alike and how they're different and kind of get the whole roundabout story from all four representations of this story. Remember, next week is Marigold Festival. So if you'd like to come here, we'll have a 9 and 1030 service. If you'd like to go there, the music begins at 9 o'clock. Um, either way, we encourage you to worship the Lord next Sunday. So thanks for coming today. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Know that you're loved and appreciated. Thank you.